Over Kamed, Daf Samachtet Amudbet, ownership the Fisha Edor Bilshuto. In our last year, we talked about the din of Gonev Min Haganav. If somebody steals something, but he doesn't steal it from the actual owner, he steals it from somebody who stole it from the actual owner. And we learned the din that he's not called a Ganav. This second thief is actually not called a thief in terms of halacha. He is not a Ganav, and he does not have to pay kefil, he does not have to pay double. The real source of that reasoning is in our Gemara Daf Samachtet. And in understanding it, we're going to gain a new, a deeper perspective as to what ownership is. Because in Halakha, ownership is not a legal construct. It's not just the fact that something is registered in your name and there's some bureaucratic document that refers to it as being in your name. Ownership is a relationship between a human being, between a person, an individual, and that which he owns. And it's the nature of that relationship which it's important to define in order to understand fully the laws of Geneva. So in our Gemara we have the Mishnah that is referred to, which is, Ein HaGonev Achar HaGanav, that if a person steals from a thief, he does not have to pay kefil. Amai, why is that so? Says the Gemara, I understand why you don't have to pay the first thief, because it says that kefil, the double payment that a thief has to pay, applies when you take it out of the home, out of the property of the owner but not if you steal it from the property of the Ganav. So I understand you don't pay careful to the Ganav, but why should you be free of paying careful altogether? Why should this person who is a thief, he did steal it. He stole it from somebody. It's an object that does not belong to him. It never belonged to him. And yes, he stole it from B, who stole it from A. But right now he holds A's property. Surely he should have to pay A, Surely he should have to pay the owner. Says the Gemara, no, what we hear from this, what we're able to deduce and extrapolate from this halacha is an important principle in ownership. This one, meaning the ganav, doesn't receive the payment of kefir because it was never his. But you don't pay the original owner because the object was not taken from his reshut. When the Geneva took place, when the theft took place, it didn't take place out of his property. And here we understand a very important principle in ownership. Ownership comprises two dimensions. There is the dimension of literal ownership. That means I own it, it is mine, I've made a kinyan or I've received it through an inheritance. And the other dimension is it's in my reshut, it's in my possession. It's within my property. It's, it's mine in terms of my relationship with it as well. So ba'alut, if we redefine the word ba'alut, which means ownership, but let's not use the English word ownership, which is a kind of a blunt word that means many different things. In Torah, let's talk about ba'alut as what it really means. To be a ba'al is not to be an owner. It's to be a master. The same as we talk about a ba'al midot, a person who masters his midot. A Baal Ga'ava, somebody who is a master of arrogance. A Baal Isha, a person who's mastered his wife. He knows how to make her happy. He knows what makes her tick. He's mastered his relationship with her. And so in the areas of ownership, even of material things, and certainly of intangible things, ownership, Baalut, means more than a legal construct. 
Ownership means ba'alut, it means mastery. I have influence. I have control over this thing. This object is within my control. I can do what I want with it. I can destroy it. I can protect it. I can move it from one place to another. I can lend it to somebody else. I can give it as a gift to somebody else. I can sell it to somebody else. I have mastery over it. It is mine. And if we understand that, then we can understand a number of different things in the sugya. The Oniyot Socher is a, a, a very great Talmud Kochum from the previous century, first part of, of the 20th century. He lived in Poland. He was uh, a friend of the Chofetz Chaim who thought highly of his world, his network. His name was Avram Schiff. And he asks, why does the Gomorrah suggest that he should have to pay the owner? That maybe I might have thought, if there wasn't this reasoning of Lavbir Shutor, I would have thought that he does have to pay double to the original owner. Asks of Avram Schiff, but he didn't take it from the original owner. He didn't cause any loss to the original owner. The loss had already been caused before. This thief, this second thief, who has stolen it from the first thief, hasn't in any way affected the value of the assets of the first owner. And yet we've got to say from that question that he is in some way affecting the first owner. And the way to look at it is the fact that he holds possession of this article means that the owner is unable to gain possession of it. Yes, I'm not the one who took it out of the owner's property, but I'm holding it at the moment, making it impossible for the owner to gain access to it. It's like in the terrible situation that we're facing at the moment of the of the Shavuyim, the Khatufim, the people who've been kidnapped by Hamas that we don't have back yet. Yes, they did a terrible thing on October the 7th when they kidnapped them, but every day they hold them, they are kidnapping them. Every day they hold them, holding them, they're making it impossible for them to return to their families. And so when you've stolen something, when you've, so to say, kidnapped an item of somebody else's property, it's not just the act of theft, the fact that you're now holding it. Now, it's true, the person now holding it is not the person who did the actual theft. The same as we have in the situation in Gaza. The person who is holding the hostages at the moment is not the same person who actually kidnapped them on October the 7th. That doesn't mean they're any less responsible to make sure that they come back to their families. And so surely the Gonev Min HaGanav, this second thief, has a responsibility to restore ownership to the original owner. And yet the conclusion of the Gomorrah is he is not a Ganav. And although he does have an obligation to return it, that's a matter of, of Nezikin. As far as the laws of theft are concerned, he's not a Ganav. He does not have to return the theft within the, the construct of the laws of stealing. And he does not have to pay careful. He's not considered a Ganav. Why not? So let's understand that a little further by learning a piece of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, where Reb Chaim talks about the fact that the Rambam makes it very clear that one has to, in order to be a Ganav, not only does one have to take something that belongs to someone else, but one has to take it out of his Rashut, as we see in our piece of Gemara. One has to take it out of his possession. And he says, Yesod hadin hu achein misvara. The actual foundation of this din is not learned from the psukim, it's actually learned from logic. And that is that one who steals from another thief is not called, is not defined as a thief, because he did not steal it from the property of the owner. Because that absence of having removed it from the property of the first owner removes from him the din of Geneva. 
to be a Ganav and to have performed an act of Geneva, not only must you have taken something that doesn't belong to you and have taken it surreptitiously, as we learned in the last year, but you must have taken it out of his possession. And we can understand that in terms of our redefinition of ownership as ba'alut, as mastery. Mastery means not that something is mine in terms of a legal construct, but something is mine in terms of my capacity to influence it, to control it. And if you have not taken it out of my property, you have not impacted my inability to control it. That was done before. The first thief who took it away from me, he was the one who deprived me of my ability to exercise control and influence over this object. You hold the object now, but you are not the person who actually deprived me of that, of that responsibility. And so it's an interesting way to look at our relationship with the things that we own. The things that we own are not ours just because we own them. They're ours because we have control over them. We have influence over them. And therefore, we are responsible for them, which is all the din of Nazikin. I'm responsible for my, what my ox does. I'm responsible for what the fire that I made does. I'm responsible for the pit that I dug. The things that I have influence over, for whatever reason I'm given that influence, are things for which I'm responsible. And a man defines himself to a large degree by the radius of influence that he has. The greater his radius of influence, the greater his status in society, and in a way the greater is his stature as a man, as a human being. And that's why it's always puzzling, isn't it, that people who have billions of dollars work really hard to make another million, to make another million. They continue, they don't stop, it's important for them to keep going. It's not because the amount of money is relevant to them. It's not because if I have $50 billion, it's important to me to make another $10 million. Uh, that doesn't really make a difference, but what does make a difference is it expands my radius of influence. The more money I have, the more power I have, the more influence I have, and that defines who we are as people. Some people have a wide radius of influence by virtue of their wisdom, by virtue of their charisma, by virtue of their connections and their networking. And some have a wide range of influence in terms of the things they own, the things that they, that they control. And that's something that we need to be aware of, that our relationship with the things around us, the things certainly within our radius of control, is a relationship of influence. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin and Davchov that Shlomo HaMelech originally ruled over the entire world and then just over the Jewish people and then just over Yerushalayim. And eventually he, he ruled only over his stick, over his walking stick. That's all he had at that particular time in his life. He had lost his kingdom, but he remained a melech because melech means somebody who is sholet, somebody who rules. And we have shlita, ba'alut means having shlita, having mastery over the things that we own, being responsible for the things that we own. And Shlomo HaMelech, even though his shlita, his mastery, was only over his walking stick, that was enough still to make him a king, to give him the bearing of Malchut, because that's what Malchut is. Malchut is Shlita. And we all have Shlita. Some of us have Shlita. We have control and influence over a very wide radius of people and of things. And some of us have Shlita over a small radius of things and of people. It doesn't matter. Exercising our Koach HaShlita, our ability to influence the things and the people within our radius is what the Midah of Malchut is. That's what royalty is. That's what being a king is. And each one of us is, as a Jewish person has that responsibility to express that Malchut in the way we relate to everything which is within our radius of influence. <laughs>